This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we'll be visiting with Jason Lake. And Jason is an incredible dog trainer who's located in Oregon. And he's also developed some really amazing training equipment and has a professional dog training website called ProDogs.com. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Jason Lake to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. designerpetsweaters.com hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat beautiful couture patterns for your pets including custom-knitted formal wear casual wear yachting and even sports themed many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats top hats and a lot of sparkle each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves and leash opening visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready large or small we fit them all designerpetsweaters.com let's talk pets on petliferadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello and welcome, Jason. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love. I feel welcome. Good, good. Well, we're so glad that you could be with us today. I, I have wanted to have you on our show for the longest time to talk about the amazing work that you're doing in Oregon. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to this day quite a bit. Good. Well, tell us. I mean, you have so many things going on in the dog arena. I mean, you're a trainer. You've got the equipment. So tell us, Jason, how did you get started working with dogs? Oh, many years ago, I started with the idea of uh, training myself a service dog. And where I live, we have a local business that trains dogs for deaf people called um, Dogs for the Deaf. And there's a trainer there that I was personal friends with, and we got this idea to train assistance dog. And I've never done a whole lot of training. I, I was actually more interested in horses growing up than I was dogs. But then as I grew up, I needed something that was a little bit smaller and easier to manage. So my love of horses <laughs> kind of turned into my love of dogs. And we started working with this gentleman. And from there, I learned many lessons, not just lessons about training, but lessons about temperament, lessons about all different types of breeds. And the dog I currently had at that time had a really soft temperament. Her threshold for handling stress was very low, and this was probably one of the first lessons I learned was about, you know, how a dog's temperament reflects how the dog can work in public and if the dog can be a service dog. Not all dogs can be a service dog just because of this reason. And so I worked with this young lab for about two to three years, and after a while we realized that it just was not, this was just not the job for her. And so from there, I started with another dog, 
and I'm a very competitive person, so my dog <laughs> training, uh, service dog kind of idea kind of turned into competing in the AKC, and then from competing in the AKC, I now compete in a German sport called IPO. And so basically it started with just the idea of training a service dog, and from there it's really blossomed. Wow. Well, so tell us, because so many people, Jason, so many of our listeners, they want to train their own dog, and they're always wanting information about how to do that. So what would you recommend if someone has no dog experience, and a lot of people think that their family pet can be a service dog, so I'm glad that you brought up that issue about your experience where it's so true, not every dog is meant for this kind of work, but what would you recommend someone? Do. You know, that's a really complex question because it is. There's, really, <laughs> there's really no easy answer to it. One of the things I always tell people is because there's a lot of trainers out there that offer a lot of different opinions, a lot of different training types. And so I tell people, pick a trainer that you like the results. In other words, watch how they interact with the dog. Watch how their dog interacts with them. See how their relationship is with their dog. In other words, if the trainer is using compulsion or using, uh, let's say, harsher methods, and you can tell that the animal just does not look like it's enjoying the training, that's probably not a trainer that you either want to follow or go to. When people call me up and they say, Jason, what kind of dog trainer are you? And I tell them, I'm not necessarily a dog trainer. I am an instruction book how to build a relationship with your animal. And really, that's where training starts, is building that relationship. Not necessarily teaching the dog to sit or down, but creating a relationship where the dog wants to learn and the dog has a desire to say, okay, what can I do for you next? So really any kind of training starts at that relationship level. And so if a trainer is really not building a relationship or, or can't explain to you how to build that relationship, it's probably not the direction that you want to go. However, it does not mean that their method is necessarily totally bad. It just means that from my opinion, I like, I like a dog to enjoy their work. Yeah, I think that that's, great, that's great advice, Jason. I think that's really, really good advice. And that's, I mean, certainly when you're trying to make that big decision to have a service dog come into your life and spend 24 hours a day with you, the more you can do in researching and really understanding what that means, the better. It will serve you and your dog in the long run, no question. So that's great advice. And I love that about building a relationship because that's really what it is. It's a life, it lifelong relationship. So what would you say are some of the best steps in building that relationship for someone that is getting a, a service dog that's been trained either by an individual or an agency? What would you recommend in the first six months to a year of that? How do you build that relationship? <laughs> well, I mean, there could be many ways. You know, one of the things that I see when somebody gets a trained dog is they don't want to start off by giving the dog too many tasks or too many commands. In other words, if somebody is, receives a service dog from another organization that trained the dog, don't automatically start asking too much of the animal. It's better if for the first two weeks to go out and throw a ball, to, to go out with some food and just feed the dog you know, in public, feed the dog wherever you go, create this relationship. Because it's much like 
a family situation. If you have kids and some other person comes into your house and starts telling your children what to do, your children are going to look at that person and say, why are you being my boss? Why are you, you know, telling me things to do? Because they don't have that bond, that relationship is not established. And same thing kind of with the dog. The dog's going to look at this person and say, okay, I know you're telling me to sit, but why are, and who are you? And I don't know who you are. However, if you go out with the ball and you go out with some bonding exercises and forget training altogether at first, you can start to create that relationship. And then the dog says, oh, okay, you're asking me to sit him down. I don't mind doing that for you. I want to do that for you because now I enjoy being with you and I know and I trust you. And there's where the relationship starts to build, not in going out and doing tasks right away. Yeah, that's so lovely. And that's so true. I know when I got my first service dog years and years ago, long time ago, they, <laughs> they, the one thing that just resonated was in the, the class when they said, we're not giving you a robot. We're not giving you some being that's going to immediately perform and immediately do all exactly. of these things that it knows how to do. But yeah, so I'm so glad for you to say that because it, it is so important. And as I'm looking at now, getting my fourth dog, these are certainly good things for me to remember and to remind myself of. And I, I just saw something lately about a conference on doing activities with your working dog, about promoting happy and healthy working dogs. And I just love that and thought that that was so great because, you know, we're not really taught that when we get these guys. We're told, you know, to bond with them, of course, uh-huh. but we're not taught about that ongoing health and wellness. You're absolutely correct. You know, one of the things when, when I started obedience class, in the first class, people come in and a lot of times people want, you know, they want their dog to be really well behaved. Even in the first class, even when they're even signed up for an obedience class, they're there to learn, they still want their dog to really behave. And, and so when they come into my class, they're, they're trying to push their dog's rear down or they're trying to physically make their dog, you know, do something. And I say, forget obedience, for, you know, for, forget telling the dog commands, just start creating a relationship, start building that drive, and I guarantee when you ask your dog to sit her down, the dog's going to be willing to do it and want to do it because you step back and you start that relationship. Even people that have a puppy and they raise it up till, you know, to a year or two years of age, sometimes really don't have any type of relationship because the dog spends most of the time in in the backyard or once in a while they go out and throw the ball, but it's not really, the dog's not really bonded to that person. So that's engagement is one of the first things that in my class that I teach when people come in, you know, come in is the power of engagement, how we engage and different tools that they can use to engage, not just food, not just balls, but sometimes it takes, you know, putting food inside a Kong and the dog gets excited. You kind of, sometimes you kind of have to think outside the box as a trainer in order to figure out what it takes to motivate your dog. Because you're right, these are not computer systems. You can't just, you know, flip a switch and all of a sudden the dog says, okay, I'm ready to work. You have to kind of remember that the dog does have feelings. The dog does have emotions. It's still an animal. It's not a person. But it still requires that bond and that relationship building. And so it's one of the most important things that any type of training uh, that needs to start, that needs to be a good foundation. Because a lot of times we see if that foundation foundation is not laid and the person decides, okay, I'm going to take my dog to a park and the dog either gets off leash or they let the dog go off leash. 
when there's a distraction and the person calls their dog, if they don't have that relationship with their dog, their dog's going to say, no, I'd rather go do my own thing. But if they have a good relationship and the dog says, yes, I like obedience, I like coming to you because we've established this relationship, you know, the dog's going to be more obedient and it's going to come to them. If not, we see the dog usually take off and say, nope, I want to go do my own thing. Yeah. Well, and so what would you recommend? Because I know people automatically think of, like you said, the ball or the treats. How would you recommend that someone really build that relationship? Like how many times a day should they do something with their dog? Or what else would you recommend, Jason? You know, that's a really great question. Relationship building is not necessarily dog training. And I know that seems kind of really kind of weird. When people ask me this, how long should I work with my dog on a daily basis? Usually what I tell them, if you're working on a particular behavior, the behavior is anything that we are teaching the animal, then you want to break it up. Let's say you want to say, okay, I want to spend at least an hour a day, you know, working on this with my dog. You want to break it up into like four 15-minute sessions or two 30-minute sessions, but one long hour, the dog becomes kind of flat. It's like, oh, I'm tired of doing this. And so by breaking it up into little sections helps the dog. However, relationship building, you don't have to worry about adding too much or doing too much because it's basically you're learning what makes your dog come into drive or what makes your dog excited. Yes, food is sometimes the basis of where we start. However, some dogs don't have a lot of food drive. Okay, so we try the toy. If the dog doesn't have a whole lot of toy drive, you know, then we have to start saying, okay, let's see, will physical praise, you know, bring the dog into energy? Will, you know, will simple body movement running away from the dog, does that excite the dog? Anything like that. But it's up to the owners to try to figure out what makes that particular animal tick. With mm-hmm. me in a wheelchair, it's a little bit difficult because I physically don't have the presence to do what an able-bodied person would be. I physically can't throw a ball. I physically can't, you know, reach down and scratch my dog's, you know, back or, you know, pet them unless the dog puts his head in my lap. So, you know, my training is really based on a lot of food, based on energy, but I've even taken toys that are on a bungee and tied them to my chair, and, you know, my dog will grab that. I've had to think outside the box regarding that. I've... <laughs> I love I that idea. <laughs> I know it seems, it seems really weird, and trust me, people all the time say, why do you have a dog toy hanging off your chair? And it's actually sometimes great because it kind of leads into me telling them why, and, you know, sometimes I get more business just by opening that door. So, you know, yeah, yeah. my... <laughs> Sometimes my chair has been designed to figure out what I can do to do more engagement. So when I get a dog, I have to really, I have to kind of pick a dog that has a natural, a lot of natural drive that I don't have to try to develop. And a great example would be this. If we take a St. Bernard, a St. Bernard is not a really energetic dog. They can be a great obedience dog, but they just don't have that a lot of energy, let's say a shepherd or a herding type dog would be. Okay, so for me, a St. Bernard would not be a good match. For me, a shepherd is a great match because the dog is evil-keel. In other words, the dog can be inside the house and be calm, but when you go outside and you do a little engagement, the dog easily comes in engagement and says, okay, hey, I'm ready to play. So for me, it's kind of picking that right dog that fits my needs and matches. However, not everybody that is receiving a service dog can really go pick their own dog. So they really just kind of have to sometimes think outside the box and figure it out. And that may be going to the store, walking down the pet aisle, and trying each toy out to figure out what the dog likes the most, and then kind of go from there. 
Yeah, that's great. That's really helpful because I've heard so many people say, you know, that my service dog likes my spouse or my child or something better than me because they can run around and play with them. And people who are wheelchair users like us, it's like, (laughs) we don't want to be no fun. We want to be fun too. That is very true. You know, and I, and I deal with that even now, even though my dog does like to work with me and does like to engage, if he sees one of my friends and they pick up a ball, you know, that's it. That's kind of gone. So one of the things that I've learned to do is learn how to channel the dog. In other words, I don't discourage them from wanting to play with other people. But what I do is I teach the dog that, okay, work with me first, and then I can use that person as a reward. So I'll ask the dog to do a behavior or two, and then I release the dog, and they can go play with the person. So the dog says, okay, I can still interact with my friend, but I still have to, you know, I won't say perform, or I still have to work for dad. And that's kind of how I kind of use that relationship to my advantage in order to, you know, keep the dog. It's okay to play with other people, but first you have to work with me. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we are going to take just a quick break, and then we're going to come right back after these important messages from our sponsors because we have a whole lot of other questions for Jason. So come right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with dog trainer Jason Lake. And Jason, I just love all the things that you were telling us before the break about how you work with your dog. And could you tell us more about your dog? What does your dog do for you? Oh, what does my dog do for me? Well, besides <laughs> helping me flirt with single young ladies, <laughs> my dog does a plethora of different things. And, you know, that's a question I get asked quite a lot. You know, will your dog retrieve things out of the refrigerator? Will your dog pick things up? And, you know, my dog is a service animal to a certain point, but my dog's also a competitive animal to a point. I'm a very competitive person, and because my physical limitations, I can't go play basketball or play football or, you know, anything that would be competitive, and so my dog actually allows me to still be competitive, but also be in a wheelchair at the same time. So my dog will pick up things like a soda can or pick up things off the floor, but I also travel around and we compete in a sport called IPO. And IPO is a, is a sport that comes from Germany. It was originally called Schutzen, but now it's called IPO. And it's basically almost equivalent to what a police dog does. So it has to do with obedience, tracking, and protection. And so me and my dog, we compete in this sport. So he does a wide range of obedience exercises, a 15-minute exercise. He does tracking. He does a bunch of different things. And so we keep busy with a lot of different type of training. Wow. So, yeah, you, you're right. Your dog has multiple jobs. Yeah. Multiple that's, jobs. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so great. And, and how has it been competing for you, Jason? 
you know, it's been some lessons. It's been, you know, it's some days it's really inspiring. I have people that, that will come up to me and they'll, they'll say, you know, I make excuses for me and my dog all the time, but look at you. And, and it's actually been a great way to show people that you can have a dog that likes to work, that likes to engage, that likes to have a relationship without forcing the animal. Too often people get in a hurry when they're training their dog and they skip steps. They actually skip, you know, that bonding. They skip that engagement. They go right into training. And then by the time the dog is ready to go on the field, the dog says, I would rather go do this and that than really perform with you. And people see my obedience and see, you know, my dog's energy level. And they can't say, hey, you know, how do you do that? How, you know, how can you get such great results without physical manipulation, without forcing, without, you know, being hard on the dog? And so it's, in some ways, he's a good ambassador for positive reinforcement training and help others inspire others. So it's been a great adventure and, uh, you know, and I love what I do. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. I mean, that, what a great job you have. Well, <laughs> well, tell us more about the training services and about your business. What do you offer, Jason, and how do people get engaged to get your services? Well, you know, my I hold classes here in Medford, Oregon. I actually also, I record my classes and I put them on YouTube. And so it gives people other opportunity that may not be in my area. Also, you know, learn about and be able to glean from my experiences. Um, that's one thing in dog training that I've really always tried to do is pass on free knowledge. Pass on knowledge that, you know, other people have given me. Sadly enough, there's not a book that you can pick up that teaches you everything about dog training. And so basically what you do is you learn from as many people as you can and you apply that and you come up sometimes with your own ways and your own solutions. So I provide a wide range, not just basic obedience, but sometimes we have to work with rescue dogs that may have some aggressive issues or some rescue dogs that may have some shyness issues that we try to have to bring some encouragement in. So I don't just offer basic obedience. I offer sometimes, I don't like to call it behavior modification because we're really not trying to modify the dog. We're really just trying to help the dog overcome. So sometimes we have to deal with that. I also have other classes that are for competitive obedience where people, they want to go into the AKC and maybe go for an obedience title or a rally title or a CD everywhere from a CD up to utility. And then I also am going to be starting uh, soon a circus dog class. One of the things that I see sometimes with people is they get tired of just doing basic obedience. They get tired of doing sit down and come and they want to do a little bit more. So my plan is to put on a circus dog class where people really have to learn how to engage because when you teach your dog how to jump through a hoop or go through a tunnel <laughs> or stand up on their back feet, it's not as easy if you don't have yeah. that. So I'm really trying to think outside the box so I can teach people really how to build that relationship through fun and through different types of training. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so awesome because I I know I, I did some of the, I'm sure you're familiar with Dognition, and I, I did some of those tests with Whistle, my service dog, just to see. Uh -huh. And oh my gosh, he had so much fun. <laughs> and it was such a little light bulb went off for me. I'm like, shame on me because I'm not engaging him enough because, I mean, he was like, come on, let's do it again. Let's do it again. That was you're so right. fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of the things I learned is if you don't give the dog a challenge after a while, the dog becomes flat. 
other words, if I if every day I work on the same thing with my dog and there's nothing that kind of breaks the dog out of the norm, the dog gets kind of tired. So I'm always trying to think, okay, what can I teach my dog? Lately, I've been teaching my dog how to run backwards, how to back up quickly, and how to keep backing up until I tell the dog to stop. And just by doing that little exercise brings the dog into drive. So then when I go from that right into healing, the dog shows me a really nice picture and the dog really enjoys training because he's not just doing the same repetitive thing over and over again. So sometimes just think outside the box or doing different things like nose work or agility or anything like that with your dog really creates that bond and really helps them in their other type of training. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Yeah, so true. Well, tell us about some of the equipment that you've designed in your training. (laughs) Well, so some of the equipment I've designed is really, uh, sometimes it's just geared for, you know, for me personally, just because it kind of fits my needs. In other words, there's a product that's in some stores. Um, Basically, it looks like a dog can, a tennis ball cannon. And so I actually took one of these cannons and I put an electric button on it and I took some magnets and what I would do is when I worked with my dog, when I want a reward, I would hit this button and the button would fire off the cannon and the cannon would shoot the ball. And so this actually helped me because I can't throw the ball. It helped me teach the dog that I can be engaging just as much as somebody else. You know, I have magnets on my chair, sorry. I have magnets on my wheelchair at different spots so I can actually put a toy and I can reward the dog at any time. So one of the first things I teach my dog is the take it and leave it command, okay? So I teach the dog how to leave something alone, then I teach the dog how to take something. And so then when I'm working with my dog and I want to reward my dog, I have this magnet that has a toy, the magnet's inside the toy at a spot where it won't hurt the dog's teeth or it won't affect the dog's health, and I can release the dog and the dog grabs the toy. And this is a really handy tool. In fact, there's another young lady that's in San Diego that's in a wheelchair. And she also is doing the same thing I do. She puts the magnet on the back of her chair. And then there's a ball that has a magnet inside of it. And when she releases her dog, her dog can jump back and grab the toy. So there's great tools. And sometimes being in a wheelchair, we have to figure out what works best for us. I also sell products for able-bodied people, everything from, you know, tug toys to, you know, to check-its, to balls, certain things like that to help them build that relationship with their dog. Sometimes we kind of have to be inventive of what the dog likes. A lot of people don't realize that dogs are texture motivated sometimes. In other words, if we have a tug that is made out of French linen or we have a tug that's made out of jute and even fire hose, sometimes the dog does not like the texture of one toy but another toy they'll like. So sometimes we have to throw all the toys in the middle of a, of a living room and figure out what the dog likes best. <laughs> That's great. Well, we all have our likes and dislikes, right? And what we prefer. True. Yeah. That's true. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned your YouTube videos because a colleague of mine, Bob Vogel, who is a big fan of yours, Jason, he was, that's how I first found out about you because he was like, have you seen Jason's YouTube (laughs) videos? Yeah, so it's just so awesome. And I'm so glad that you're doing that to share so much of, of the incredible work that you're doing because now with technology, even though you are in Oregon, people can certainly learn from you and access some of your methods. And do you do any training by Skype or distance training, Jason? 
You know, I, I haven't. I'm so busy. I don't just teach obedience classes, but for 11 years, I've taught a 4-H class. So I was going to ask a, you about that. Yes. <laughs> I have about, each year is a little bit different, but between 15 and 20 kids each year that I kind of give back to my community. I volunteer just teaching them, and I teach them the same obedience that, that I teach adults. And, you know, just working with the kids and their dogs have taught me a great amount of knowledge over the years, just not just patience, but, you know, how kids actually interact with dogs differently than adults. It kind of seems as we get older, sometimes we lose our goofiness, our energy level, and so that kind of affects the dog. But you have a young child that has a ton of energy, that can transfer into really great obedience, and it's really been a joy just watching the kids and watching how well they do, and I've learned quite a bit. And besides that, I also, we have a IPO, or we have a Schutzman Club here in Oregon, where I kind of talked about a little bit before, and so I teach that twice a week. So besides that, I also have a full-time job, so it's kind of hard to do the Skyping lessons and things like that, yeah. and a lot of times people just call me up and ask me questions, and sometimes that's a little easier than trying to watch a video also, but um, you know, it would be my dream to you know do this on a greater level, because it's not that I am better than anybody else. There's a lot of great trainers out there. But I have a different aspect of looking at training that I think sometimes we lose in dog training. What I mean by this is because I'm physically unable to do a lot of things, I have to mentally think about, okay, how can I reach this goal and how can I overcome this with the dog and teach the dog this? And because I don't have the physical ability, it kind of benefits training in a lot of different ways where a lot of trainers are more, okay, if they can't think about a way to do it, they start trying to lose their patience and they start, you know, maybe trying to physically, you know, make the dog do it. So, and I think I have a, just from my experiences being in a wheelchair, it's given me a different type of edge and, and look at dog training and animal behavior. And so I'd love to do it on a larger level, just have not had the opportunity yet. Yeah, well, I think you will have that opportunity, Jason, because what well, you're doing you. is really incredible. I mean, your work is the way that you interact with dogs and the way that you do command their attention is really beautiful. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, no question about that. Well, tell us, because unfortunately our time is coming to an end, and you're going to have to come back, Jason, because there's so, ma- so many things we can talk about. But I want you to tell our listeners all of your websites and ways that they can, can get information about you or see your YouTube videos. What are some of those accessible ways? Well, if you're looking for equipment, you can go to my equipment page, which is ProDogs.com. That's www.ProDogs.com. That's P-R-O-D-O-G-Z.com. My training website is www.DOG-TER.com. If you look at it, it says Doctor.com. And you can go to YouTube and easily type in my name, Jason Lake, or type in Jason Lake in wheelchair, and you can find my YouTube channels that way. I also have videos on both ProDogs.com and Doctor.com, which you're more than welcome to watch. If you have any dog training questions, you're more than welcome to call me at 541-608-2857, or simply email me at jasonlake at charter.net. That's jasonlake at charter.net. I love to answer questions. I love to help people out. And it's just, it's a joy of mine. So anybody, anywhere can contact me. 
Well, Jason, thank you so much. You can't ask for more than that. I knew you would give our listeners all kinds of good avenues to get in touch with you and to learn from your incredible work. So thank you so much for the work you're doing, Jason, and for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Well, I enjoy being here, and I definitely look forward to coming back. Awesome. Well, and thank you so much, our listeners, for being with us. We really appreciate you joining us today. And Whistle and I want you to keep those emails coming. We love to hear from you, and you can email us at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thanks so much for being with us. We hope you'll also check us out at WorkingLikeDogs.com on Facebook and our blog. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.